I think we could almost say a prayer and leave, and I think we've had a really good worship already. Thank you to, to everybody, to Scotty and to Steve and, and to Mr. Mercer for, for the prayer. And thank you that you're here today. Sorry you got to listen to me twice in, in, in two weeks. I uh, apologize for that problem. That's not, that's not my fault. It's Coach Riley's fault. He's, he was going to preach today, but he's not able to be here. Please remember him in, in our prayers as we, as we think about him. Um, <laughs> maybe you couldn't tell from the songs that Scotty led this morning. We're going to talk about grace today. And um, some of the most beautiful songs that he led, that last one is a great song. And to hear people singing out on that just uh, is a wonderful thing. You know, when you think about grace, that is one of God's greatest gifts He's ever given to all of us. You know, the James 1 in verse 17 says that every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father above, in whom there's neither variableness nor the shadow of turning. Everything that you and I have in our life comes from God. Whether we want to agree with it or think that it does or not, it does. Everything that you have, from, from the, the food that you eat, to the water you drink, to the clothes that you wear, to the place that you live, everything you have comes from Him. Now sometimes people say, well, wait a minute, Johnny, look at, look at how hard I work and look at what all I do. Where did you get the strength to work from? Where did you get the capability in your mind to be able to do what you do? It came from God. When we think about the grace of God, though, that's what I want to talk about today because every good and perfect gift comes from God, but grace is the one thing that God has given us that can really change everything about your life. For years, I mean, in the church, I mean, we talked about the word grace, it means unmerited favor, right? And that's what exactly what it does mean. But I heard it expressed like this one time. Um, the gentleman said, it is when I get what I don't deserve. And when I don't get what I do deserve. When you think about where we stand in the sight of God, in God's eyes, we're sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have messed up. We've made mistakes. We've said things that we shouldn't. We've done things that we shouldn't. And there's all kinds of things in our life that are not exactly right. But God sent His Son to die on the cross for us anyway. As we begin this one, as we think about, uh, about grace and we think about um, what God has done, I want to go, go to, the, to the Bible. I hope you've got a Bible with you. And, and let's look at several different passages about grace. And we're going to begin, if you would, in Titus chapter number 2. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse number 11. Paul writing this, he says in verse 11 of Titus 2, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That doesn't leave anybody out, does it? That's everybody. It's appeared unto all men. Verse 12, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify Himself a, a people, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all uh, authority. Let no man despise thee. 
And you look at what it says here, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That's everybody. And, and you think about all the people that have ever lived, that's ever lived on the face of the earth. The grace of God through His Son Jesus Christ has been given to everybody. In Titus chapter 3, look at verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 4. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Y'all, the grace of God came in the form of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, He died there for every person's sins. Everybody's. And no matter what you've done or where you've been or any of those things, Jesus died there for every sin. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20 and 21 says, that For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus became our sin offering. I know that there are some that say, well, Jesus, uh, it took all the sins upon Him. He felt all the way to that sin. I'm not sure exactly how that works. Jesus was perfect. He never committed a sin and never messed up at a time. But I know He became the sin offering. That He died on that cross and what He went through. As we talked about a little bit this morning uh, around the table and in Jerry's prayer. I mean, Jesus suffered for us. Not being able to wipe the sweat from his brow. That hit me this morning. Isn't that pretty interesting? And you know his back was bleeding. He was tore all to pieces from being scourged. you got bugs everywhere that's trying to get to that blood. If you've ever killed a deer and, and, and went to skin the deer out, I don't care how cool it is. They're coming. The flies are coming. Imagine Jesus. He's being attacked by all these things. He, all the horrible things He went through, He did that for who? Because of sins that He committed? No, but for you and for me. He did it for us. The grace of God has appeared unto all men. That's everybody. And you know, sometimes there's people that, in our minds maybe, we get to think, you know, well, they're not worthy of God's grace. Well, first of all, who are we that we can say that somebody else is not worthy of God's grace? But there are some people who have committed atrocious deeds. I mean, they have. For example, let's think about Hitler a minute. What did he do? He killed six million Jews along with six million other people that died. Do you think he should have the opportunity to have the grace of God extended to him? The answer is yes. Now, I don't know. I mean, that's between he and God. But to me, it's not my place to say, well, so-and-so, they're not good enough for the grace of God. I can't say that. What I can say is that when Jesus died on the cross, He died for each and every person. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Right? It's everybody. Sometimes people in their own minds, they get to thinking, hey, I'm not worthy. And I'll be honest with you, you're not. You're not worthy. None of us are. If we had to be worthy, we're wasting our time. But it's because of His grace. It's because of His love. It's because of how much He cared for us and He died on the cross for our sins. He washed away our sins.
1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, John, uh, what John's writing there, he says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. You see, God loves us so much, and He gave His Son to show us how much He loved us. You know something, by the way, that kind of a sidetrack? Sometimes we tell people we love them, but then we treat them like we don't. What's up with that? Love is an action word. If you love somebody, you're going to show them you love them. God showed us He loved us by giving His Son on the cross at Calvary, folks. Now, He loves us too because this morning you get up, the sunshine is beautiful. I mean, there's a little frost on the ground in different places. God gave us all that too. But He gave that to everybody and He gave His Son to everybody. It's just easy sometimes to, to, to maybe think that, hey, I'm not worthy and, and God will never save me. But He will. He will. Now, He's not going to do that against your will. He, he, he's not going to save you against your will. Think back to a couple of Bible characters with me for a moment. Let's think back to Peter. Peter was with Jesus. He was called by his brother Andrew in John chapter 1 to come and see Jesus. And from there, he became the outspoken apostle. Everywhere he went, every time he, uh, something was taking place, who is recorded as speaking? Peter. Peter was impetuous. He would, just, uh, he would just spit something out, I mean, before he ever thought. In Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration, what takes place? You know, you got Jesus standing there, you got Elijah on one side, and you got Moses on the other. And Peter speaks up, Lord, it's good that we're here. Let us build three tabernacles, one for each of you. And then there's a voice from heaven saying, hey, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear ye him. So Peter many times would speak up. Well, in Matthew chapter 26, as Jesus is getting close, it's getting close to time that he's going to go to the cross. In Matthew 26, as um, he's instituted the Lord's Supper. And of course, the Lord's Supper is what we just observed, where we remember His body his, and His blood as we remember each and every Lord's Day. But as they're going out into the Mount of Olives, it says that they sing a song, uh, Matthew 26, 30. They sung a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus begins to tell them, All ye shall be offended because of me tonight. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answers and says to him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. I will never be offended because of you. Jesus says, Bear I say unto you that this night before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice or three times. Peter said to him, Though I should die with you, yet I will not deny you. Likewise said all the disciples. And by the way, we, we kind of pick on Peter a little bit because it's very well pointed out in Scripture. But did you notice that last part? Likewise said all the disciples. They all said, Hey, we're not going to be offended because of you. We're willing to die with you. I will say this for Peter because later on what happens? Jesus is in the garden. They come to arrest him. And what does Peter do? And, and you have to read Matthew's account, Mark's account, Luke's account, and John's account to find out that Peter stands up, draws out his sword, and cuts off the servant of the high priest, cuts off his ear. What was Peter doing? Peter in his mind was doing what he knew to do. 
And y'all, I really believe he would have fought to the death for Jesus at that point. What happens to Peter is sometimes what happens to us. We don't realize it is a spiritual kingdom. Hopefully we do, but there's times we, maybe we don't. It's a spiritual kingdom. Peter was willing to fight for the physical. He was willing to, to go to the death with that. But since Jesus tells him, hey, put your sword up. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Put it up. Okay, he puts his sword up. And then they all scatter, right? They scatter. Except John and Peter kind of follow afar off. And they go into they because John's friends with, with the high priest and, and, and they're trying to, or have an acquaintance, so they're trying to get in to see what's going on with Jesus in his trial. Well, by the end of Matthew 26, beginning in verse number 60, 69, you'll find Peter sitting where? Outside the palace. And he, he's, you know, he don't know what to do. He's tore up. The, his, the person that he's trusted in that, that he's been, been with for over three years, he's in trouble. And he don't know what's going to happen to him. And in verse 69, Peter said, Without the palace and the damsel came to him, saying, You also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I don't know what you're saying. You know, kind of passed it off a little bit. When he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto him, You also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, says, I do not know the man. After a while, they came unto him that those that stood by and said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, because your speech berayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew, and Peter remembered what Jesus had said. What, what would you do with Peter? If you were God, what would you do with Peter? He has denied your son that he had been with for three over three years, who had witnessed miracle after miracle, who had witnessed the te- had been uh, able to hear the teaching of Jesus from his own mouth. What would you do with Peter? Well, he messed up, right? He he forsook your son. He denied your son. Therefore, he's done. We can't use him anymore. Is that what God did with Peter? Oh, no. Now, in John chapter 21, you remember Jesus looks at Peter as he's uh, after his resurrection. He looks at Peter and he says, Lovest thou me more than these? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Ask him three times. What's the significance of the three times? I don't know, you know, we look at it and say, well, he denied three times and Jesus asked him three times. But what did Peter go on to do? Peter in Acts chapter 2 was the man that stood up that we have recorded in Acts 2 preaching the first gospel sermon, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. From there on, I mean, Peter becomes a, uh, a, a huge leader at the Church of Jerusalem, and he is there. And, and I mean, think of of all the great things that he was able to accomplish. Who preached to, to the Gentiles first? Acts chapter ten. It was Peter. So was God able to use him? Absolutely. You think Peter was ashamed of what he done? One of the other accounts says that as soon as that cock crew, he turned and seen Jesus. And he went and wept bitterly. Peter was very sorrowful for what he did. But grace can take that away. Grace can take it away. 
And, uh, you know, when, when we think about the grace of God that has appeared unto all men, it's for all of us, and it will take it away. You know, we can beat ourselves up and we can stay down if you want to. That's what Satan wants you to do. You've messed up as a Christian. Satan wants you to just say, well, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And God can't use me anymore. That's not true. God uses the brokenhearted to bring the other brokenhearted to Him. God uses those who have failed to be able to spread His gospel to others who need to hear the gospel. Peter is a prime example of someone that God used even after he really messed up. Let's talk about Saul of Tarsus a minute. One of my favorite apostles. He wasn't there with Jesus. He didn't live on the earth with Jesus or travel in the circles with Jesus as, as far as we know. But what we do know is this. In Acts chapter 7, when they are putting to death Stephen, who was a man full of, full of the Holy Spirit, who had been chosen to, to be one of the men in, in Acts chapter 6 to look after the needs of the Grecian widows. Stephen was a great man of God. And as he's preaching the Word of God, they get so mad at him that they're going to kill him. So at the end of Acts chapter 7, what happens? They are stoning Stephen to death. And as they do that, they lay their coats down on a young man's, name, or young man's feet whose name was Saul. That's the first time that we are introduced uh, to this man named Saul. Well, in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, in verse number 1, it talks about how that Saul was consenting unto the, to their deaths, or to his death. Um, and at that time, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, there was a great persecution among the church. And they're going everywhere trying to track down these Christians because that's causing problems for the Jewish people. You've got the rulers of the synagogue who, they don't like it. These people are leaving them. So in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Now, let's think a minute. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of mankind. We got that. We, and hopefully we got it. I mean, that's the grace of God, right? But also, what else did He do there? He purchased the church. He, he gave His life on the cross of Calvary to purchase the church. Ephesians chapter 1 says He became the head of the body of the church. So you got Paul who is going and trying to destroy the church. In Acts chapter 2, when the gospel is first preached, we find that there are 3,000 people that obey the gospel. In Acts chapter 4, we find that multitudes of people are obeying the gospel. In Acts chapter 6, I believe it is, it talks about there's 4,000. So there's a lot of people that are obeying the gospel. What's Paul trying to do? He's trying to stop it. He wants it to stop because that is not according to what he believes. How in the world could God use a man like him? Matter of fact, he's, he, as he's given his, um, his testimony later on before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11, he basically tells him, he says, you know what? I was there when people were arrested. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he said, I was there when they were arrested. When they were being put into prison and when they were being put to death, I gave my voice against them. Because I thought within myself that I should do everything contrary to the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
He was totally against Jesus. Until he met him in Acts chapter 9. When he meets him on the Damascus road and Jesus appears to him, I mean, I can only imagine the fear that came through him when Jesus, when he says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. I can only imagine the terror that went through Saul of Tarsus. Y'all, he goes into the city of Damascus. He waits there to Agrippa. Um, I'm sorry, not Agrippa, but Ananias is sent to him. And as he is taught the word of the Lord, he is taught about Jesus, he is then baptized into Christ, and he begins immediately preaching about Jesus. It isn't until later on that his name is changed to Paul, but when you look at what he did with his life, he wrote 13, possibly 14 of the New Testament, uh, books of the New Testament. That's over half. He was able to, to go on at least three missionary journeys. If you count the last journey going to Rome to be put to death, uh, eventually that's a fourth missionary journey. He was able to establish so many congregations of the Lord's church. He was able to go back and encourage them and, and to encourage them to keep on uh, fighting for the faith and doing that which is right. But y'all, from, from a human standpoint, if you looked at him, you would be like, man, he's, he's just not the one. If you think he's going to be a good one for you, he's horrible. He hates you. He hates Jesus. But after he meets Jesus, his life has changed and it changes 180 degrees. And from then on, he is a proponent of the gospel of Christ. He, he is probably the biggest proponent in the first century after Jesus himself. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 if you would. Paul kind of sums this up for us talking about his life. 1 Timothy chapter 1. As he's speaking here, he says in verse number 12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Y'all saw who became Paul's life was totally changed. And because of the gospel of Christ and because of the love that God had for him, he went on from there and and accomplished so many wonderful things. Now, it is believed by secular history that he was beheaded in Rome. Very possible. That's where he ended up. But think about the number of people that he was able to tell about the glorious grace of God. How that God blessed him above that which he was deserved. You know, all of us could say the same thing, right? We all have been blessed and been given this grace of God that we need to actually 
do something with. Let me ask you a question this morning. Last point, or I, sorry, sometimes I don't have points. I just got a, a topic I want to talk about. But let me ask you a question: Have you accepted the grace of God in your life? Because you see, that's in, that's the most important thing. On the on the day of Pentecost, when the men the uh, the men who were pricked in their hearts in verse thirty seven, they said, "Men and brethren, what shall we do?" See, they ask a, a very important question. In our Bible class this morning, Rick is covering Acts chapter sixteen. Begins up to we get to the Philippian jailer. He asks a question, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" The problem is, so many people never get to that point in their life that they say, "What should I do?" And yeah, I realize the world, there's so many things being told what you should do and what you should do. I encourage you, read the Scripture. What does the Scripture say? Have you ever accepted the grace of Jesus Christ? Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 as we're going to close this morning from this passage. Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to think about just the words that, that Paul uses here. But Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, it says, And you hath He quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's somebody that's actually obeyed the gospel, that's given into the grace of God. But in verse 2 he says, Wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You see, at one time, these people in Ephesus, yeah, they were living just like the world did. And they were doing the things that the world did. And they were walking in sinfulness and and all the horrible things that the world has to offer. Verse 3 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherein He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, had quickened us together with Christ by grace, or by grace you are saved. He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come that He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, and having no hope without God in the world. Y'all, verse 12 right there. That's so many people. That's so many people. And I realize he's talking about the Gentiles, and but that, that affects everybody. So many people right now are without Christ. They're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They um, do not have any hope. But thanks be to God who gives us hope because look in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you sometimes are far off or made nigh by the blood of Christ for He is our peace and have made both one and have broken down the middle wall partition between us. There's more. There's so much more in that passage. But y'all, the grace of God 
has appeared unto all mankind, has been given to us. And each and every person can have forgiveness of their sins. They can be forgiven for the sins that they've committed. Now I want you to notice verse 80 as we close. For by grace, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me say this. We are saved by the grace of God, but it's through faith. Faith is not just saying, oh, I believe. No, no, no. Faith is an active showing of how I believe. If I really believe in Jesus, I'm going to try to do what He asked me to do. Are I not? If I really believe in Him, I'm going to strive to be the, the, the person that He has called me to be. Because you look at verse 10, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Y'all, the grace of God is amazing. And I think, to, I think back to Jerry's prayer again, and he was talking about uh, the vastness of the, of the universe and, and how amazing our God is, and He is. But think about how deep His grace runs. For the God of heaven to send His only begotten Son to this earth to die for you, Never think you're not worth something. I said earlier you're not worthy of the salvation. You're not. But you're worth something to God because God created you. He loves you. He cares about you. Now what He wants from you is for you to love and care about Him. This morning, if you're not a Christian, if you 